a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Have you completely dedicated every part of yourself to? And I said, well, what's the answer? And she says, that's the trouble. The answer is always no. I said, well, let's ask the question a different way. Has Jesus given everything for you? Has he dedicated his whole life to you? Has he invited you into his heart? And the answer to that is a glorious and gracious and conscious, freeing, comforting yes. Uh, only then we, we hear the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to earth, uh, was born of a Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life uh, in our place, and died the death that we deserved, took on the full wrath of God. All that was done for us so that we could be called righteous and holy in the eyes of God. That's not going to help with the who wants to date a seminarian hotline right there. <laughs> Everyone's favorite Lutheran theological game show, Table Talk Radio. I'm Evan Gigline here with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. Yeah. Hey, I was just wondering, listening to that intro. Hello, uh, Evan. Were you were you uh, saying that uh, that Jesus died a perfect life isn't going to help me with the uh, who wants to date a seminarian hotline? <laughs> you put those two audio clips together, and it, it okay, we wanted something of us all laughing together, and mostly it's uh, you couldn't have had me. trouble finding the audio because <laughs> mostly it's uh, one of us laughing at the other one instead of us laughing together. Although if you, if you listen carefully, so I then think you we... have this strange <laughs> mixture of the discussion of the cross. And if you listen carefully, you also have uh, I think uh, Pastor Ketchelmeyer on the on the phone laughing at us too. So. It's good to have everyone laughing. All right. Well, today for Table Talk Radio, after we, we horse around this first segment, we're going to be playing Name That Theologian. And I, I don't know about you, uh, what you have for me, but I have some excellent theologians for you. I'm pretty excited to see you fail miserably at this next game. Yeah, I have some not-so-excellent theologians for you, and you're never going to guess them. There's no way. I'm giving 10,000 points if you get either one of these theologians. Great. So you get to see... 10,000 uh, points. You get to see Evan uh, flounder around and not get anything. It ought to be a fun show today, so stay tuned. Um, but first, we have to do our theological buzzwords, simply where we uh, define a, a theological word, and they have to work it into the conversation sometime during the show. And, uh, Pastor, the theological buzzword I have for, for 500 you... 500 points available oh, oh, that's for this right. game? Yeah, 500 points um, uh, up, up to, because you can get less if you if it's you know worked in pretty unnaturally like I usually do. True. But the theological buzzword I have for you is Arianism. <laughs> and uh, this was uh, off of uh-huh. Arius... Uh, who uh, was a priest and denied the uh, the uh, that that Jesus was both uh, that 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 Jesus and uh, and God the Father were of the same substance. Uh, instead, he would teach that uh, Jesus was the first creation uh, of God. This is that old whole homoousius versus homoousius. So. Homoousius means of the same substance, and homoousius means of like substance. So Arius could go for the homoi, but not the homo. So, uh, the, the, uh, so the creed has to come and say, no, same substance with the Father, homoousius. That's a big deal over one little letter. That's right. Okay, what theological buzzword do you have for me? Gnosticism. How about that? I checked. We haven't used it yet. I can't believe we haven't used it. Gnosticism is the theological error uh, Gnosticism is a, well. It's a, really it's a system of thought. It's an ideology. It it 
it's like a parasite. Uh, it clings to all sorts of different confessions. So uh, you have Christian Gnosticism, Jewish Gnosticism, Hindu Gnosticism. But but the basic idea with Gnosticism, uh, kind of loose Gnosticism, is that there's a distinction between uh, the material and the spiritual. And the material world is bad or evil or wicked. And the spiritual world is what's good and holy. So you even have Greek Gnosticism, this sort of thing. And you have a creeping Gnosticism in the church, this kind of dualism that says that uh, creation and the flesh is bad and, and only spiritual internal things are good. Uh, and you see you see this kind of Gnostic. I think this is where we see Gnosticism today, where people say, well, uh, baptism can't be a means of grace because how can God give spiritual gifts through something like water? Uh, so that because water is part of the physical world, it seems incompatible with the high heavenly gifts of salvation, etc. So that's uh, so that's the Gnosticism that we see these days. So that's your buzzword, Gnosticism. Gnosticism, it is. <clears throat> okay. By the way, did you check uh, whether that word had been used or not on our new website at tabletalkradio.org? I did. I checked. Good. On the new and website, it hasn't been used apparently. <laughs> Uh, I, I was just trying to pronounce it. Okay. All right. Uh, listener response. I have one particular email <laughs> I, I, I especially want to address. Uh, and this, this came from Mike. Uh, Mike uh, was responding. Remember when we did this show, uh, Secular or, or uh, Christian? Or Christian or Secular? Remember this, Pastor? Yes. I think, uh, I think you got like yes, half of yes. them right that time. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, all, all these songs that, that I played were <sighs> these like – these gothy girl bands, you know, and then they were trying to figure out are, are these Christian or secular, and and uh, we couldn't really tell the difference. And uh, Mike, had- even the fact that we can play that game really tells you something, right? Because you, the idea was you play this, uh, we're playing these different songs, and we're trying to figure out if they're Christian or if they're secular, and you and you can't because <laughs> they don't, because the Christian songs don't have any Christian content, and the secular songs have kind of this pseudo religious feel to it so what a mess yeah that's so right. mike wrote about that yeah and he had he had a, uh, a good insight i wanted to share with with our listeners it says uh, i think the reason why goth girl music has such a strong representation of praise band sounding imagery is because the two share the same uh, the same common theme the, this secular genre is shockingly high percentage of the of the newest praise music seem to express a great deal of emotional anguish and clingy desperation this kind of therapeutic expression makes sense for those Christians who are attempting to, attempting to climb the ladder of mysticism. In, in many of these cases, I think emotional pursuit of God has many parallels to the angst-filled trials of daily life that are expressed in Gothic music. When you do not have word and sacrament as objective signs of God's grace, love, and providence, there is a great deal of spiritual loneliness and anxiety. It's like your co. Oh, he quotes you. I, I'll stop right there. I don't want to <laughs> quoting myself. Quote to quote me quoting myself. Yeah, it is pretty a, a bad deal. Uh, Christian music these days. But here, this is an amazing point: is that uh, is that em, emotional mysticism gets reduced to kind of a clingy desperation, because if and there's a reason for this: if the way we think. If the way we sort out how God thinks about us or how God feels about us is through our own emotions, then we're always going to be kind of uh, seeking assurance and seeking comfort and and seeking uh, a confidence in a place where God hasn't put it. 
I mean, he has put himself in his word and in his promises and in his sacraments so that we can know without a doubt how he feels about us. But if we abandon these things and start to uh, measure God's own thoughts towards us by our own emotions, then we're, we're going to be on this highway of desperation. I remember when I was in college, uh, I had to take this class. I think the class was called uh, uh, preaching and uh, preaching and worship leadership or something like that. And uh, one thing that, that everyone in the class had to do was was con- conduct a pretend worship service. And so we have all these, you know, my Baptist and, and Methodist friends doing these these praise ba- praise band type services. And uh, I kept writing on the evaluation sheets. By the way, it was really funny when they when it was my turn and they all got to go through a. A, a fake uh, Lutheran liturgy, but, um, but I, I kept, we're supposed to write, we're supposed to evaluate each other. And I kept writing something about, you know, just, you know, emotionally driven things like that. And my professor wrote back on my paper. He said, uh, but, but don't you know that, that our emotions, uh, uh was part of, of God's creation for us. So I throw that back at you. If, if emotion is just part of us, why is it such a bad thing to have emotions in worship? That's not a bad thing to have emotions in worship. Of course not. I mean, that's fine. But it's just uh, its just not how God has decided to reveal himself to us with certainty. I mean, our emotions go all over the place. Uh, so sometimes, I mean, when you hear something like this, uh, Jesus in, should be mad at you, but instead he isn't. He loves you. I mean, how... Uh, and, you, and you know the depth of your own sin, and so you know the height of his love. How can you not... Uh, react to that emotionally. I mean, and, and and smile because God is smiling in you. That's great, but uh, uh, but we don't depend on our emotions. And, and there's a danger in trying to um, uh, put people on this emotional roller coaster. The the danger is that uh, our emotions go through these kind of natural ebbs and flows, ups and downs, highs and lows. And and as soon as you hit those lows, then you figure, well, God must must not like me. He he must be far from me, something like this. And that's very, very dangerous. Uh, John says, 1 John, he says, uh, even when our conscious conscience condemns us, we have one who is greater than our conscience. So that there has to be something that can, um, that can override these emotions and can come with an absolute certainty so that we're not tossed to and fro like the boat on the ocean, but rather we stand with our feet firmly planted on the promises of God. Well, I'm glad you. So I'm said... not against emotion per se. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I I like to be. I mean, we like to have fun on this show and everything. I mean, it's not emotions are bad. It's just that they have to serve the gospel. Right. Well, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, that in the form of confession, absolution, and responding to a, a recent clip from the TV show from Fox House MD. We'll be talking about that right after this break. Send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. We'll listen to House right after this. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Serious Theology. Seriously Bad Hosts. Hi, this is Evan Gigline. Thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio. Have you ever wanted to be a radio clown yourself? Now you can with the Table Talk Radio Reformation Glee Club membership. This is my favorite Reformation Glee Club. Really? Tell them how we uh, sign up for the Reformation Glee Club. Yeah, why don't you tell them that, Evan? 
Oh, well, you just go to our website at tabletalkradio.org and click the support tab. Why don't you tell us uh, the different levels? Uh, yeah, why don't, why don't you tell them that? <laughs> okay, well, there's the radio clown, the table talk radio pietist, the iron listener, or the theological bull rider. Yeah. Why don't right. you tell them what we get? Uh, yeah, why, why don't you tell them that? <laughs> well, if you sign up for the Reformation Glee Club, you get table talk radio points for every dollar you donate. Oh, nice. Love those radio points. We really do appreciate all the support for Table Talk Radio so we can continue to bring you everyone's favorite Lutheran theological game show. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. I'm especially excited. What is that music? That's the music to House, of course. Oh. You must not watch this show then, this huh? Stuff. No, no, I don't watch the show. There's I like one time. There's like two shows that I like, and this is one of them. Hmm. Uh, but since since Table Talk Radio is on the, the cutting edge of culture, we want to bring this to you. Uh, oh, Speaking of which, Pastor, have you heard about this new dance called the Macarena? Uh, is that cutting edge yes it is because we're in the lcms 19 1994 (laughs) because we're lutheran so the cutting edge is just subtract 15 years yes right (laughs) okay well i gotta set up this this clip we're gonna play from from house uh, how this goes is is uh, you know in case you don't even know anything about House House is this you know expert doctor who can figure out all these these uh, secret diagnoses that uh, no other doctors can. Anyway, in in, in a recent episode, uh, they had this this dictator uh, from another country who was visiting in the Amer- uh, the United States, and while he was here, he had some sort of major health problem. Well, this dictator uh, was responsible for this uh, genocide of, of thousands, thousands, thousands of his own people, and so uh, you know why this this uh, you know dictator is in the hospital under under the care of of Doctor House and his team. You know these these people from from his country are coming in, just begging the doctors. You know, don't save him. He's he's killing all our people. He's going to keep doing it. Well, at the onset, this doctor that's going to that's in the clip, uh, he says, you, you know, you know, it's my job as a doctor to care for him. It's not my you know my role to to you know to take it upon myself to kill another human being. Um, uh, but as he gets to know this dictator and, and, and talks to him more, he asks him, you know, are you, are you going to keep killing all these people, this genocide? And this dictator says, I'm going to do whatever I have to. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm ruling the country. I got to do whatever I have to do. And so what this doctor does is he manipulates the lab results to make it appear that he had a different diagnosis that, that he really did. And the treatment that uh, appeared was the right treatment to, to give him was actually the wrong treatment, and it, and it ends up killing him. So basically, you know, uh-huh. he, the guy tampers the evidence to, to make the, the doctors uh, kill this patient. So uh-huh. now this doctor is, is you know, carrying all kinds of guilt. He's trying everything to get rid of this guilt. He's exercising. He went and got plastered. Nothing, nothing's working. So now he comes to the priest at the Catholic Church to, to have confession. And so this is where the clip comes in, and this is what we're going to be talking about today. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Take your time. How 
long has it been since your last confession? I killed a man. Oh? Whoa. But it was the right thing to do. Who lives or dies is not your decision to make. Sometimes in the operating room it feels like it. I'm a doctor. Well, then you should know more than anybody that every human life is sacred. Why? Tell me what's sacred about a dictator that kills hundreds of thousands of his own people. What is sacred about a doctor who kills a patient? Is it just the slippery slope you're worried about? Afraid that forgiving me for killing the worst person on earth such a bad precedent? I promise. I won't tell anyone. Just forgive me. Saying ten Hail Marys isn't going to do you any good. Then what do I have to do? What does God need me to do? You can't have absolution without first taking responsibility. You have to turn yourself into the police. Well, and, and go to jail for the rest of my life? What's just about that? I did the right thing. There has to be another way. You want absolution? I've told you how to get it. All right. Well, that's a clip. Um, there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, first, Pastor, maybe we could first address kind of this uh, Roman Catholic idea of of uh, of forgiveness and absolution that it first comes by uh, like penance, uh, doing doing various works uh, like the Hail Marys you mentioned. Yes, um, that is an interesting sort of thing. Uh, uh, the, the the idea of uh, penance originates from this idea that um, that's that you can uh, establish a certain punishment for a sin, and and you get it, but it it kind of flows over to this idea where, um, uh, I mean, so just the basic idea of like a child and a and a parent, where if your you know your child disobeys you, you say, look, go to your room for three hours or something. You're you're you are uh, you are giving them a penance to perform in, in, as a temporal punishment for a temporal crime. It gets really sort of confused when the church starts to think that she can um, she can dole these things out, and even more confused when the church starts to dole out spiritual things. So you've done something wrong spiritually, so now you have to do these spiritual exercises to somehow make up for it. Uh, that, that's the that's a bad sort of deal. Uh, so the so giving out Hail Marys and all of this, the problem especially with it is that the way the Lord doles out his forgiveness is not with um, uh, conditions or exceptions or something. He He just gives us forgiveness based not on our works but on the blood of Jesus. Uh, so that's the first thing. Okay. Oh, sorry. Was there a second thing then? <laughs> no, I think that – I mean okay. that was a few, your well, first question. Well, I wanted uh, to talk about this though because um, – uh, with the Lutheran understanding of confession absolution, that that your your forgiveness, the absolution isn't isn't based upon what you do first. However, uh, isn't there this idea though that that uh, we see that the penitent is really penitent? And so you know we have a, a couple who's living together outside of the, of holy matrimony, and we ask them to to move apart. Do you? Uh, I, do you, do you see my question? What's what's mm-hmm. the difference then of, of of seeing repentance apart from uh, the, you know what this 
Catholic was apparently saying that you apparently seem to earn your forgiveness. Right. Uh, really, what what kind of stands behind this is our understanding of repentance, and we know and we know what repentance is. Uh, there's two and a half parts to repentance, right? <laughs> Wait a minute, two and a half. Go ahead. Well, there, yeah, yeah, uh, two and a half. The, the the first part of repentance is contrition, that is sorrow over sin, uh, knowing what we've done is wrong and completely offensive in the eyes of God. And this is worked by the law in our conscience. Uh, it's really the work of the Holy Spirit. So that we, so this doctor says, look, I've killed a person, and he knows that there's something wrong about that. But but he also is standing there trying to defend himself, saying it's also right. You know, mm-hmm. this is the really difficult thing about this clip because he he's coming for forgiveness, but he's not really repenting because he thinks what he's done is right. And so the priest could say, well, what do you need forgiveness for? If what you've done is right, then then why ask for forgiveness? Right. Uh, I mean, that's the sort of the the, the the strange tension being kind of put forth in this clip. But repentance has, the, so the, this first part is contrition, sorrow over sin. The second part is faith in the forgiveness of sins. So that the absolution comes in after sorrow over sin. The absolution comes in and says, look, Jesus died on the cross for all sins. And he has not, he even has forgiveness for uh, sins like murder. We know that with King David in, in his uh, murder of Uriah uh, and his contrition and then his the absolution that comes from the prophet Nathan and then his faith that follows. And then the kind of the half part of of repentance is the is good works that follow. Uh, in other words, the, the conscience set free from the uh, pain of sin then says, uh, Lord, what might I do to uh, rejoice and follow? you and serve you so so, so change if we could change the scenario a little bit and say that this this doctor who is confessing was truly penitent wasn't wasn't defending his actions um could could the pastor then freely speak forth absolution and then almost separated from that that forgiveness that's given on account of christ say you know hey look you know the uh, the right thing to do as a christian now who's been forgiven is to turn yourself in Right, because uh, because all of our sins are both before God. All, all of our sins are before God. Some of our sins are before our neighbor. And so when we come seeking, um, uh, we come seeking to be made right before the face of God. If we've sinned against our neighbor, we also seek to be made uh, right there. So that um, uh, so that uh, true repentance, if we've sinned uh, against someone. Uh, would then go forth and say, uh, this is what I've done, and I'm willing to face the consequences, the temporal consequences for it. Uh, and so that's, I, I think it's not a necessarily a wrong thing to say, uh, that that I'll t- to say to someone who comes to confession, to say, look, it, if you are really sorry about this, this uh, if you are really contrite and uh, for this sin, then there are things you can do to make it right before the person you've sinned against. And your unwillingness to do those things shows that you are not willing uh, that that you are that you are not repentant. That's a dangerous place, though, to to put yourself as the judge of true uh, of true repentance, of true contrition, uh, and to say that someone is uh, sort of contrite or half contrite or not all the way contrite. This is a very very difficult place uh, to be. And so this uh, this pastoral conversation between the penitent and the confessor uh, is, is oftentimes fraught um, with with these sorts of dangers because we keep confession and absolution for the sake of the absolution, so that we can say the words of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. 
That's right. Well, wow, that was that went quick. It's time uh, for another break on Table Talk Radio. Oof. You know, there's a whole other conversation there that we don't really have time to get into because the theme music is already starting. But uh, whether the doctor has been given the place to carry out a judgment on this dictator. But uh, that's all the time we have. But we're going to play some Name That Theologian right after this break. Don't go away for more Table Talk Radio. Everyone's favorite critical event. Table Talk Radio will be right back. And now it's time for Table Talk Extras with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. We are all born sinners, that is, children to our flesh and to the devil. That is why one of the most glorious and beautiful pictures of the gospel in the scripture is that of adoption. That the Lord takes us, who is not our father, we're not naturally his children, he takes us into our family. One of the things that happens when someone is adopted is they, they receive a new name. They, they give their adopted parents, give them their name, and with the name goes all of the things that come with being in the family, acceptance and, and a place and love and an inheritance. So it is with us when we're baptized. We're given the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're adopted as his children. We're brought into his family and we receive his spirit and his kingdom and his name and everything that belongs to him. So we have this marvelous text. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father... The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. You, all of you who are listening and who are Christians, are the adopted sons of God. You are members of his family. You have his kingdom and his holiness and his righteousness and his name. And so we together can say, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we, we, should be called the children of God. May we rejoice in that. Amen. This has been a production of Table Talk Radio. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We it is time for this uh, game we haven't played in a while. Name that theologian. Uh, the the name is pretty self explanatory. Uh, you read some quotes from a theologian and you and you guess who it is. Uh, Two hundred points for each uh, for each theologian available here. For me, I re- oh. remember you're getting ten thousand <laughs> points. Okay, well uh, that's how confident I am that you're going to have no idea who these guys are. You know that does sound like fun, but I'll go first. Um, <laughs> okay, the the theologian I has for you. Uh, I, well, I'll, I'll have to talk about this after after it's revealed who this theologian is. Um, but uh, suffice it to say that uh, for now, at least, that this theologian is responding to an, another person, and I'll clarify that later because I, I don't want to give it away. Um, but this is how it goes: <clears throat> the person says the theologian, but the devil urges me to despair, 
and the theologian of which you're trying to guess says this, I wish you would despair of yourself and in yourself because you are a sinner, but do not despair in God whose grace abounds over your sin. As John Christendom says, For no greater is the malice of man to the mercy of God than a spark of fire held to the sea. Even if the sea is great, it yet succumbs to measurement. The mercy of God, however, has no measure. End quote of Christendom. Uh, Never despair of Christ or in Christ, who came into the world to save sinners, whose blood avails more for our atonement before God than the sins of the whole world offend him. Although your sins are great, diverse, and many times repeated, they are not so great and serious that you cannot obtain pardon and forgiveness for them. Mm-hmm. That's the first quote. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a, uh, I mean, a couple things in there. Uh, one, despair not of uh, God, but despair of yourself. Uh, and this is the purpose of the law, really, to bring us to this despair of self. And then there's this quote of Chrysostom where it says, it's, uh, our sins are like the spark on the ocean sort of thing, um, which is uh, really quite marvelous. Uh, you, you you cannot possibly sin so much that you undo God's mercy. And then this uh, this thing that the blood of God, of uh, the blood of Christ avails before God more than any, uh, for, for every sin. How does that line go? Um what part were you looking for again? Uh, right towards the end where it says, the, uh, your sins are great, but the blood of Christ is greater, something like yeah, this. Yeah, whose blood avails more for our atonement before God than the sins of the whole world offend him. Yeah, so his blood avails more than the sins of the whole world. So th- Now, this is a, a universal atonement sort of thing, so I think that's going to uh, knock out Calvin or a late Calvinist. Uh, this does sound an awful, uh, awfully Lutheran. Uh, it's the quote from Chrysostom that throws me off because Luther uh, himself wasn't given to quoting the Church Fathers that often. Um, so I'm thinking a later Orthodox Lutheran, like uh, like someone like uh, Chemnitz. But let's see. Uh, let's have another uh, a quote. Okay, and this one, the, the person talking to your theologian says this. Uh, I confess that there is a great deal of consolation in the words of absolution offered to me. At the same time, my faith still wavers and does not so firmly cling to the promise of the gospel as to prevent all temptations. For my flesh grumbles. They are only words that you hear, and your ears do not see the goods, the good things promised with your eyes. And then your theologian responds, These are words to be sure, but they are the words of God, who is most true and who lives forever. They are the words indeed, but words of the Spirit and life. These are words indeed, but these words are more certain and more durable than the sky you behold with your eyes and the earth you stand upon with your feet. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away, says the truth. The word of the Lord our God abides forever, says the prophet, and who locks away his word and clings to it with true faith shall be saved forever. Well, that's quite marvelous. Uh, I was telling someone yesterday that what it means to be a Lutheran is simply to believe that God doesn't lie, <laughs> that he, that no matter what happens, we just trust his word and cling to his word, because especially his word says, as this conversation is unfolding there, that his word says your sins are forgiven. Uh, now, there's another clue in the fact that there's a these are conversations that are being recorded, so kind of question and answer, so it's a table talk sort of thing. 
Uh-huh. That'd be, that'd be a good a, thing to <laughs> name a radio show. Yeah, yeah, that's a great name. I, a show called Table Talk would be wildly popular. <laughs> wildly. This <laughs> kind of give and take there. Uh, and, so, and this, I think, has got to be Lutheran. And the only Lutheran I know that has Table Talks recorded is uh, Luther himself. Uh, but do you have a third quotation? that uh, I do, I do. All right. Uh, the person saying to your theologian says this: "I confess the God. I confess that the godly are partakers of these benefits of Christ by their virtue and salutary use of the of the Holy Supper. It troubles me not a little, however, that the, the Apostle Paul states that whoever eats the bread and drinks a cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood, the body and blood of the Lord. I fear, therefore, that I approach that heavenly banquet as an unworthy guest." And your theologian says, By acknowledging and lamenting your unworthiness, you avoid the stain of being an unworthy guest. The apostle does not call those who are weak in faith unworthy. Indeed, the sacrament was instituted for the encouragement of faith and the comforting of the weak. The unworthy are those who do not examine themselves nor discern the Lord's body. That is to say, those who, without true repentance and living faith, Without a hatred of sin and an earnest intention to improve their lives, receive the Holy Supper as if it were ordinary food, who make no distinction between this heavenly banquet and other common meal. Yeah, how interesting. So the, so the person there, uh, the person asking the question says, I'm worried about what St. Paul says, that I'm partaking of the Lord's Supper unworthily. And this theologian says, the very fact that you're worried about it makes you worthy. This is classic Luther, then. This has to be. Uh, because, uh, because like we talked about, the two parts of repentance, that you're contrite and then you, have, and then you believe, you have faith. He sees, look, contrition here is what makes you ready to receive the gifts of God, uh, your own weakness. Now, the, the thing that comes after that, I think, shows that this is table talk because, and not something that Luther wrote down because of this emphasis on true faith and this sort of thing. But I still, I'm going to guess then that this is the theologian, Dr. Martin Luther, and this is some of his table talks. Is that your final answer? Yes. Really? I'm sorry. Here, I'll give, you, I'll give you a clue from one of our listeners. This is Eric, the truck driver, and I love table talk radio. Without theological buzzwords, I could never understand Johann Gerhard. Is that right? <laughs> I should have been. See, I was totally. So, Johann Gerhard, is this in. Uh, he, he must have written. Does, is there a table talks for Gerhard or no, something? No, no. This is uh, his Handbook of Consolations for Fears and Trials that Oppress Us in the Struggle with Death, uh, recently translated by Carl Beckwith. Yeah, uh, I should have. Well, that's really a, quite marvelous. This is just it, a little handbook he put together uh, to, you know, for, for the uh, encouragement of, of those in the struggle with death and also those who. who uh, attend the the sick and dying, and so he put this little the the, the person talking to to the, the this is some, he, it's it's both him. It has tempted in the comforter, so he has kind of this fake conversation going on. Yeah, yeah, well, that's really something I hadn't I hadn't seen that. If I it was the format that threw me off because there was a couple things that I didn't want to uh, pin on Luther, you know, uh, like this uh, real faith, uh, or there was something in that first thing, and you can tell that it's Gerhard who who is a great theologian. Um, but has a few of his emphases uh, there that you, that come out in that quote. Gerhard is kind of the third generation of Lutheran Orthodoxy. You have Luther, then Chemnitz, then Gerhard, uh, and then things dry up for a little bit until you get to uh, uh, some of the late 19th or middle of the 19th century guys. But um, 
Uh, but there you go. I got it wrong. Zero for you, and I'm ready to get 10,000 points. Okay. Do you want really old or not that old first? Really old. Okay. Now, uh, to get to, I actually only have two quotations from uh, each of mine because I had trouble finding a third. But that's all right. Yeah, Ten thousand points on the line. Uh, <laughs> okay. You should be able to get it. Okay. Here is the first quotation. There are, to be sure, other things also quite as foolish as the birth of Christ, which have reference to the humiliations and sufferings of God. Or else, let them call a crucified God, quote, wisdom. But Marcion will apply the knife to this doctrine also, and even with greater reason. For which is more unworthy of God? Which is more likely to raise a blush of shame? That God should be born, or that he should die? That he should bear the flesh, or the cross? Be circumcised, or be crucified? Be cradled, or be coffined? Be laid in a manger or in a tomb. Talk of wisdom. Hmm. Okay, so you give me a, a few hints that this theologian is, is rather old. Um, and also this discussion about uh, there must be some sort of a tobacco going on right now about uh, the, uh, the, the the birth of God, that, they got, that God would take on human flesh. Of course, this is a great quote. They said, well, what's, what's more disturbing, that God would be born or that God would die? You know, that, that's really great. Yes. Uh, um, and and there's this uh, quotation of, of Marcion too. So that this places it pretty early. Um, well, I'm going to have to think on this. I'm going to do so uh, during the break. Uh, we have we have about thirty seconds here. Do you, do you have a, a, a comment that I'm missing here? Uh, no, you got the Marcion business. So this person is fighting against Marcion, uh, and. Um uh, and, and this so-called, quote, wisdom, the, the wisdom of God. And it's contrasting the kind of wisdom of reason versus the wisdom of of the incarnation of Jesus, of God coming in our human flesh. So, no, you, I think you got a beat on it. I'll give you one more quote uh, after the break, and uh, maybe that'll help you nail it down. All right. Well, I hope so, because I'm, I'm thirsty for 10,000 Table Talk Radio points. <laughs> we'll see what I can do after this. Uh, if you haven't heard, we have a brand new website over at Table Talk Radio. The website you didn't is new. That. I heard you mention the web. <laughs> the website is new, but the address is old. Table Talk Radio. Org. You can check that out. We have some articles on there, and we'll be playing some Name That Theologian right after this. That's just the way it is. Some things will never change. That's just the way it is. This second. Don't ask me why, but you've been listening to Table Talk Radio. Pastor, this bump is for you. I like the traditional, the traditional style here. This is going back to the throwback table. Yeah, that's right. Well, all these NFL teams are wearing their throwback jerseys. I just want to participate. <laughs> throwback table talk radio. Now I did oh. that because uh, you were supposed to. We, we thought we we're gonna have to come up with something for segment four, and you were supposed to come up with it, and you never let me know. So I thought this is your punishment. Yeah, look at we're gonna run out of time. I know in it. Segment four. Here. Okay, so I need to I need to hear another quote from this uh, this mysterious theologian. Yes, you are. We you are listening to name that theologian on everyone's favorite 
theological game show, Table Talk Radio, and 10,000 points are on the line. If Evan can name this theologian, he had the first quote was about uh, the flesh of Jesus, and now here's a quote about baptism. But we, little fishes, after the example of our ichthus, Jesus Christ, are born in water, nor have we safety in any other way than by permanently abiding in water. So that most monstrous creature, who had no right to teach even sound doctrine, knew full well how to kill little fishes by taking them away from the water. What? Oof. What a mo- so this is the idea is look you're you're to become a Christian you are uh, a little like a little fish you're born in the water and you stay in the water in other words you you remain in the promise of your baptism to be safe but here comes the devil that's the monstrous creature who doesn't have the right even to teach things that are right he doesn't have a place to teach and he will kill us by uh, by drawing us out of the promise of our baptism by removing us from this water. Uh, and the promise that's there in uh, and 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 would kill us so that so that you see that the way that the devil uh, tempts his Christians is to is to depart from the promise that God gives in baptism and 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 here's the best place to see that in the scriptures is the temptation of Jesus because do you remember how Jesus is baptized and God says this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and then the Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and how does the devil tempt Jesus is to doubt the words that God spoke in his baptism if you are the son of God if you are the son of God you know turn this stone into bread jump off this temple uh, etc fall down and worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms so that the devil comes tempting us away from the promise of our baptism that our sins are forgiven and that God has us as his own dear child that's what this is talking about now look do not miss this opportunity to, though to refer to Marcion and his Gnosticism and get your buzzword in didn't Marcion <laughs> more specifically talk about uh, you know it had like the God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament that these two different gods yeah that's and, right and so that was very Gnostic and, and stuff <laughs> You're right. Uh, 200 points. Okay. Now, uh, <laughs> now, this is actually true. Marcion has a, has kind of a strict dualism. So you got the mean Old Testament God and the nice New Testament God. Gnosticism officially has all this goofball stuff about emanations from the uh, from the monads and all this kind of crazy stuff. When we really talk about Gnosticism today, it would probably be more correct to call it Marcionism. Uh, but Gnosticism just kind of stuck as a shorthand for this for this dualism. Uh, so, good work. Okay. 200 points. <laughs> um, I really don't know. I'm just going to throw out someone early. Uh, I'm going to say Athanasius. Oh, earlier even than him. This was Tertullian. Wow. Tertullian. All right. Well. We're getting blanked. At least I got 200. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, I have another one for you. Are you ready? Yes. We also understand the earth, the nature of the earth, and why God permitted Mother Eve to partake in the forbidden fruit. We should not have been here today. If she had not, we could never have possessed uh, have possession. We should we could have never possessed wisdom and intelligence if she had not done it. It was all in in the economy of heaven that we need not talk about it. It is right. We should never blame Mother Eve, not the least. I am thankful to God that I know good from evil, the bitter from the sweet, and the things of God from the things of not God. Woohoo! This is a common theme in many uh, religions today, is that what Eve did was good, not bad. That it shouldn't be understood as a fall, but as an ascent. Uh, this knowledge that we have now comes from the 
from the feminine and stuff. So feminist theology thinks that. Even some sorts of uh, less than orthodox Judaism thinks this sort of thing. Um, so uh, and uh, so so this is kind of a common thought. Now I've got no idea. I don't even know if I could name any theologians who would say something like this. Is this a pretty common name? Or, yes, you will. Uh, you will know this name. Okay. Okay. Here's another one then. Uh, let me give you a definition in brief. Your endowment is to receive all those ordinances in the house of the Lord, which are necessary for you after you have departed this life to enable you to walk back to the presence of the Father, passing the angels who stand as sentinels, being enabled to give them the key words, the signs and tokens pertaining to the holy priesthood, and gain your eternal exaltation in spite of earth and hell. Oh, yeah, that's weird. Now, this is a Gnostic, Gnostic sort of thing. So there's secret words, signs, key words, tokens that you that you have to learn in this life, and this now unlocks the path to the face of God in the afterlife. Um, so this is kind of, it's kind of a Kabbal, it sounds kind of Kabbalistic, uh, or um, maybe even uh, Scientologistic, something like this. <laughs> Okay. Uh, so, I mean, one of these kind of kookball uh, Gnostic perversions of something. So, uh, well, you have another quote? One more, yeah. Uh, to explain how much confidence we should have in God, were I using a term to suit myself, I should say implicit confidence. I have faith in my God, and that faith corresponds with the works I produce. I have no confidence in faith without works. My faith is when we have done all we can, the Lord is under obligation and will not disappoint the faithful. He will perform the rest. Um, now, this is a modern person, I would say, huh? Um, I think so, somewhat. Okay. I mean, uh, if we were playing contemporary or traditional, this person would probably be contemporary. Okay, uh, so after 1750. <laughs> um, You're welcome. Thank you. This this is a perversion of Christianity uh, in some form or another because of this discussion of faith and works. You can tell that it's um, that it's kind of growing. It's a it's a perversion of the scriptures. So it's going to be some sort of cult. Uh, now the 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 Mormon language came in there with um, this all you can do, all the good works you can do, then God will kind of take care of the rest. That's kind of explicit Mormon doctrine. Um, uh, the ordinances of the house of God also kind of strikes me as a Mormon thing because they got the temple. They're trying to rebuild the temple. But I, I don't think that they would speak well of Mother Eve like that uh, unless uh, – nor do I think uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, which is, you know, the modern-day Aryans, uh, would speak that way of Eve. Although wait, they wait, don't... wait, wait a minute. Wait. Was that an attempt? That was the buzzword, yes. Oh, okay. Aryan. That was pretty good. I'll give you 500. Although I just wanted to let you know I caught it. So wheat. Okay. Arianism buzzword. Ding, ding. Jehovah's Witness, modern day Aaron. Something like this. I, I, so, But I'm thinking kind of Scienti I, I, Scientology is more kooky than this. But <laughs> I'm, I, I, is it a man or a woman who says this thing? It's a man. All right. What are you, um, a chauvinistic pig or what? No, I'm trying to figure out if it's Madonna or Tom Cruise. <laughs> okay. It's, it I'm going to say man. Tom Cruise. Is that your final answer? Yeah, that's my best shot. I... Oh, another buzz. You were looking for Brigham Young. <laughs> oh, it is the Mormons. Oh, man. <laughs> 
and I checked was born in 1801, so so I was safe with the. Uh, he he is contemporary. Wow. Okay, we just so have I, two minutes. No way do we have time okay. for this one. I'll tell you what. Why don't we tell, do tell an extended extended version of the show, and we'll do one more for you to get more points. And otherwise, we'll just talk about Brigham Young. He was he's part two of uh, the Mormon saga. You know, first you have a. Uh, Joseph Smith, and then there's a big debate about who takes over, and Brigham Young really does, and he goes and he he starts a football team and has a university there, uh, BYU in Utah. Uh, he's the one that brings the people into the promised land of Salt Lake City, etc., uh, builds the first temple, and is then, I think, the second prophet, right? I don't know. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he, second, yeah, president um, or whatever. But there you go. You you see uh, you see how I mean even in these quotes how uh, Mormonism is a perversion of Christianity because it's about now what we must do uh, about our own works, our knowing that having this secret knowledge, rather than simply what Jesus has done for us. I mean Christianity does not think that uh, that Jesus is the highest creation. They oh Mormonism also has this Arianism too. Uh, that Jesus is the highest of, of the things created by God. He, he has a spirit, brother Lucifer. He's one of the highest angels that we're progressing towards godliness. No, 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 none of this. Uh, Christianity teaches that God has come down into our flesh. That like Tertullian said, he was born and he died. Uh, he, he was laid in the, tomb, in, the, in the cradle and he was laid in the tomb, all for us and for our salvation. So it's not by grace you are saved through faith after all you can do, like it says in in Second Naphtali or Third Naphtali or whatever. It is by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It's the work of God that no one can boast. Uh, so, so the Christianity says that God comes to us to save us and rescue us and deliver us uh, completely of His own goodness and mercy. Well, that's all the time we have for the traditional radio version. If you uh, are listening on the radio, tune in to uh, this, the rest of the show on tabletalkradio.org and listen to the rest of it. That's all the time we have. Thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio. The final score, by the way, Evan 200 and Pastor Wolfgang 500. <laughs> and the points are like? The points are like the Gnostic love for creation. It just doesn't really exist. <laughs> You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like to answer your questions concerning theology, the scriptures, or anything else. Send your questions to question at tabletalkradio.org or leave us a voicemail message, 866-851-5523. Be sure to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio. Well, thank you for those of you who are staying with us then for the rest of this uh, version of, of Table Talk Radio. We have one as more theologian. And, and, uh, as if 48 minutes wasn't bad enough. <laughs> well, and you announced the final score, but I could get 10,000 here. I, I True. Could. There's not, not a chance. Not a <laughs> chance. But now I know what the points are like. I don't know if I want them. <laughs> what were they like? A Gnostic love for creation? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start doing my points are like jokes, and I'm going to uh, use my buzzword for the joke. You won't, you won't get any extra points for that. All right. I, got t- I again have two quotations for you. You ready? I'm ready. Uh, I, I, this is a poem, actually, and so I'm going to have to add a word here or there to make it make sense to you over the radio. 
Um, but here it goes. So here's the it's first. It's better in person or what? Yes. Okay. I mean, you kind of, yeah, yeah. You'll know what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, so here's the first uh, bit here of verse. To whom Michael thus, he also moved, replied, These are two brethren, Adam, and to come out of thy loins, the unjust, the just hath slain, for envy that his brother's offering found from heaven acceptance. But the bloody fact will be avenged, and the other's faith approved. Lose no reward, though here thou see him die, rolling in dust and gore. To which our sire replied, Alas, both for the deed and for the cause. But have I now seen death? Is this the way I must return to native dust? O oh, sight of terror, foul and ugly to behold, horrid to think, how horrible to feel. To whom thus Michael says, Death thou hast seen in his first shape on man, but many shapes of death, and many are the ways that lead to his grim cave, all dismal, yet to sense more terrible at the entrance than within. Some, as thou sawest, by violent stroke shall die, by fire, flood, famine, by intemperance, more in meats and drinks, which on the earth shall bring diseases dire, of which a monstrous crew before thee shall appear, that thou may knowest what misery the inabstinence of Eve shall bring on men. And immediately a place before his eyes appeared, sad, noisome, dark, a lazar house, it seemed, wherein were laid numbers of all diseases, all maladies, of ghastly spasm, of racking torture, qualms of heart-sick agony, and fervorous kinds, convulsions, uh, epilepsies, fierce cathars, intestine stones, and ulcer, colic pains, demonic frenzy, moping melancholy, and moonstruck madness, etc., etc., I'll skip down a little bit, and over them triumphant death his dart shook, but delayed to strike, though oft invoked without vows, as their chief good and final hope, so sight deform when heart of rock could long dry-eyed behold, Adam could not but weep, though not of woman born, compassion quelled his best of man, he gave up his tears, a space till firmer thoughts restrained excess, and scarce recovering words, his plaint renewed, O miserable mankind, to what fall degraded. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, uh, that's good. Uh, I think I know who this is, though. Really? I, I was just reading this yesterday. What? I'm just kidding. I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that marvelous? So this is the this is this marvelous scene is that Michael takes Adam up on this hill and shows him the unfolding of history and all the death that his fall had wrought on man and he sees it and he just weeps. Oh, it's incredible. Hmm. Is can you imagine? I mean, uh, th this line in here is really what I think is incredible, where where Adam says. Have I now seen death as he sees his his in a vision he sees he sees Cain kill Abel and he says is this death and Michael says just the first form mm, yeah. oh man huh. that's pretty intense all right I only have one more quote you ready for it? any thoughts any other thoughts on that no that that's good I mean that that's uh, I I I'm just baffled of who I could even think of I mean is this is this uh, would this theologian be contemporary or traditional. Oh, I should know the answer to that, but I don't. So it must be close. Just haven't right on the yet. edge. Right on the edge. Okay. Uh, no, uh, let's see here. I see now the date. It is uh, traditional. Okay. 
here, here I'll give you the beginning of this poem. Uh, and I'll have to skip a little bit in the middle to get to the line that I want to talk about. But here it starts like this. Of man's first disobedience and the fruit of that forbidden tree whose mortal taste brought death into the world and all our woe with the loss of Eden till one greater man restore us and regain the blissful seat. Sing, heavenly muse, that on the secret top of Orb or of Sinai didst inspire that shepherd who first taught the chosen seed in the beginning how the heavens and earth rose out of chaos. Illumine what is low, raise and support, that to the height of this great argument I may assert eternal providence and justify the ways of God to men. Is that it? That's it. Oh, man. Um... So this whole long, huge, long poem is set forth to justify the ways of God to man. Now, uh, what, what think you of that? Uh, it's not not usually very successful, um, <laughs> <laughs> but but the, but the uh, it makes its point though, doesn't it? I mean, uh, that that uh, you know, man man's works to to show themselves that he's he's good enough for God is is always just a, a lost cause. In fact, uh, our works are just uh, deserving of of God's wrath, and and it uh, then results in just uh, utter complete death. Um, right. Yeah, so that God needs no justification. That's that's true enough. So the whole thing is kind of a vain plot. But then it ends up in this very long and beautiful poem, which is kind of nice. <laughs> so do you think I know this person? Yeah, you should. Um, Although I don't have much trust in our educational system. <laughs> Why? Because you went to the same seminary I did? <laughs> not the seminary. Oh. You would not have learned this at seminary. Um. Um, I'm at a lot. I don't know. I, I get this. Up. Okay, this is Paradise Lost uh, by John Milton. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> Paradise Lost. Didn't you have to read this in school? No. So you were right to doubt the educational system. Yes, this is Paradise Lost. It's so 12, it's a 12 book poem. Wait about a minute. This is supposed to be a theologian, not, not name that poet. <laughs> well, he wasn't just a poet, he was a theologian. I mean, he, okay. uh, he did a lot of this stuff. He, I mean, he wrote. Look, he wrote a, on the doctrine and discipline of divorce. Uh, he was big in the. Um, uh, he wrote a, of Reformation of prelactical episcopy. Uh, he wrote a number of um, kind of theological things too. And this is perhaps one of the greatest theological poems uh, ever written. Now, it really impressed me when I first had it. But then you can see that he's a bit of a kind of a Episcopalian Calvinist. Uh, so that uh, a lot of those things come out uh, in this uh, in this very long uh, of his greatest of works. He also wrote Paradise Restored, um, a poem about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, or excuse me, Paradise Regained. Uh, and he also wrote this Samson Agamemnes, er, Agamemnes uh about the story of Samson. Uh, so he wrote a lot of things, uh, but um, yeah. Of true religion on Christian doctrine, he wrote a bunch of this stuff. Well, it makes me feel better to know that you didn't get your theologians either. Yeah, look at these four theologians: we had uh, 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 Tertullian, John Milton, uh, and then who were mine? Johann Gerhardt and Brigham Young. That is is good radio. Only right there, on boy. Table Talk Radio. <laughs> 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 that that should be one of our lanterns, just right there. Uh, only on Table Talk Radio. <laughs> 
Oh, that's good. <laughs> okay. Well, well thanks thank- to all the listeners who stuck with us for the extended version here. Yeah, uh, 100 we- Table Talk Radio points for each of you. Yes. So we're going to be out about 100 Table Talk Radio points. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Bye, listener. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a good sign-off right there. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the extended version of Table Talk Radio, and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.